I remember my doctor called me up, GP at the time, within a couple of days. And he offered condolences and said, you know, if, if I need anything, I should let him know. So didn't see me in person, didn't assess my mental health or anything like that, but was offered me medication. <laughs> so I politely refused, said, no, I'll, I'll, if I feel that I need to, then maybe, but no. And I never did. And this is no judgment on anybody um, because, you know, we all deal with things, we all process things, we all wired differently. But again, for me, I had to sit in it. I had to feel the rawness of it. I didn't want to numb it. I didn't want to blank it out. This was the life. This was the hand that has been dealt to me. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everyone to another episode of Every L Podcast where each episode we have a different guest come on and talk about experiences they've gone through, how it seemed at the time, what they went through mentally, physically, emotionally, sometimes even financially and just explore the rollercoaster of emotions, the rollercoaster of circumstances, who was still in their life, who left their life in terms of support and in hindsight, was it an L or was it something else? Because we all can look from the outside looking in at various people's lives and think that they are where they should be, that they're an amazing individual. And we have no idea what they've been through, how what they've had to overcome to be the version of themselves they are today. And I'm so grateful for the various guests I have come on and share these stories. And this guest, cliche as it may sound, because every episode so far I've said this, I've got a fantastic guest. This person is a fantastic guest. However, I do know their story that they're going to talk about. I don't know every component to this story, but this person, I can honestly tell you, has shaped a lot of the way I think, how I approach certain situations, and I've just got so much love and affection for this person. This person I've known for maybe three years now, and he's just an incredible human being. As like, Forget the fact he's a father. Forget the fact that he is just an amazing intellectual human being. Him as a pure soul, as a pure entity, he is one of those people that is just shaping this world to be a better place. He he just gives out so much. He may not even know it. Like the way I talk so highly of him when he's never around me is just, yeah, he's had a big impact on me and I just love him for who he is, for how he is. I'm telling you, when you meet people that just do stuff to you, that just lift you up to give you encouragement, give you strength to help you positively change how you think, give them flowers because it's lonely sometimes because not everyone's willing to accept these truths or to be exposed to this light. And my guest, Alec, I, I, mate, I love you. I love you for what you do. Love you for what you stand for. And I just love how you challenge me on a regular basis. And it's not even 
I know you don't do it in a malicious way. It's just you growing and I'm then incentivized to grow as well. So much appreciated to you. So happy to have you as a guest. Guys, girls, have you identified this guy? Amazing. Not saying anyone else is not amazing because that's not the case, but we all got our own version of amazing. And this guy does it for me. Before we go and talk about his L that he's going to discuss, I'm going to ask him to introduce himself before we go into his first L. Alec, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good, man. I was just sat here thinking, who's he talking about? <laughs> Is there some <laughs> other guest that, that that you're bringing on? Because I, I don't know who this person is. So I would have just swapped uh, you out. <laughs> <laughs> man, um, that's a lot to live up to, man. <laughs> that's a lot to live up to. But I appreciate the love. Uh, um, it's, it's definitely reciprocal. Um, yeah, I am... Alec, I am 50. I'm a um, solo dad to two boys with 13 and 10. Um, you know, I come from a technology background in, in the corporate world. And these days, um, yeah, I'm living life at a different pace uh, intentionally, um, chosen to do so. Uh, um, part of that was, was forced, but um, yeah, the rest of it. Um, certainly since the, the, the lockdowns and the pandemic, um, not that I wasn't living a purposeful life before, but the, the purpose was more of a, um, an add on thing that I, that I did. And, and what has happened now is the purpose has become what I do. So, you know, my purpose, my values, core principles, ethics, morals aren't just, uh, um, something that I do when, I can, you know, fit it into my schedule. It, 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 yeah, that has become everything. And uh, everything has become that almost. And that, that might sound a bit cryptic. Um, because I'm still figuring it out myself. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's where I'm at. You know, I'm enjoying what I do in terms of my calling. Uh, um, and, um, when I look back, throughout the things that I've been through. Um, not that everything happens for a reason, but I can see how so many things in my life have contributed to to the work that I do now um, to help and empower others, um, both from a mindset perspective, from well-being, and resilience, and, and self-mastery. Um, and that just sits in the sweet spot of how I live my life uh, and how I try to show up uh, um, every day, not in terms of having to put on an act or, or pretend to be something that I'm not. This is just who I am. So, you know, your point around challenging you. Um, yeah, it's, it's never from a point of uh, um, criticism or anything for everyone. It, it's, it's always from a point of love and wanting everyone to be the best that they can be, whatever that is whatever their heart's desires are. And that's it. I think you mentioned before about living up to it. It's the life you're living. It's the fact that you're you're living at a different pace. You're in it, but you're, it feels like you're in it, but you're not of it. You know, through situations, I'm going to assume, you've had to reevaluate a lot of what you do and why you do it. And I feel that's healthy, it's at least for me to always question and challenge and try to understand 
why am I doing this? Why am I doing it this way if, if nothing else? Yeah. And that's one of the things I just appreciate. You could, uh, you know, there is that saying about iron sharpens iron and I feel it very much does. And certain people around you will enable you to carry bad behavior and just perpetuate what's gone before. And other people will not say it in a malicious way, will say it with love and just sort of plant the seed of why are you doing this? And it's no harm doing it, but the way you're doing it, is that the right way for you and your dynamic? And yeah you being who you are and still figuring it out, which is key for me because I don't think anyone's going to land at the place that they deserve to be at all times. It's always shifting, changing, growing, evolving. And that's what you're, you're mindful of. And I just, I just resonate with that. So listeners, definitely you're in for a treat. Um, Actually, when I say listeners, forget you guys. It's all about me. (laughs) I'm going to enjoy this conversation. Um, nice. so for this episode, for this episode, Alec would like to talk about becoming a widower. Now this, I have heard this story a few times just because it's close to my heart and I'm very mindful. Like I said before, I don't know every, every component that's involved in this. I never will, but I love the fact that Alec is willing to raise awareness around things like this because these are things that you don't always hear about and it can be a very sore subject for people to bring up, talk about and relive in a lot of instances. But yeah, Alec, if you don't mind going back to where you feel it's relevant to start and just take me through that L of becoming a widower for you. Yeah. Um, so as I said, you know, I've got a 13 year old and a 10 year old. And the long and short of it is you know, back in 20, yeah, the 2012, I quit corporate world. Um, it was always part of the master plan. Um, my eldest was a few months shy of two at the time. And, um, my wife and I were, you know, expecting, you know, our second child in March 2013. And so, you know, quitting the corporate world at the end of November 2012 was part of our plan to say, hey, you know, live life differently, live it at a different pace. Trekking up into London on the daily, it was just, it was just not sustainable. And, and the plan was always before my eldest gets to the age of three, I'd have stopped doing that, you know, leaving the house after seven, not getting back until after seven. The commute, trekking up into London, you know, getting into Waterloo, Waterloo and City Line, and then, you know, everyone likes sardines in a can. Um, and people did that and still are doing that, uh, um, you know, for their careers. Um, but it was not what I wanted. It was not what we wanted. Um so for all intents and purposes, you know, that was the first step towards the new life that we were building together for our family. Um, and it was, you know, a great feeling to, uh, to know that one, I'd get to spend a lot more time um, with my eldest son, but, um, you know, there would be no, oh, you know, getting paternity leave for however many weeks it was going to be the birth of my, second child and then having to go back into work and then going through all of that. You know, it, it was great. And start up a new business venture. We've jointly done that. Um, so, yeah, but um, 
you know, fate had other plans. Um, you know, we get to March of 2013, um, uh, the day after the due date, um, my wife goes, uh, starts experiencing pain, so going to hospital, didn't, didn't think necessarily, you know, anything was, was, was wrong, um, at all. Um, um, it was a slightly different process, um, compared to the, the birth of my eldest, but, um, nothing that, that, that caused us any concern. Um, Got into the hospital in the morning um, after nine o'clock or ten o'clock, and you know, we ended up being there all day. Seven o'clock in the evening, um, my wife gives birth to our second son. Um, but after giving birth and coming back on the ward, she's not feeling great, so she gets rushed back in to. Theatre. She was rushed into theatre. Um, yeah, five hours later, um, she passed away. Um, you know, so there I am, you know, newborn baby, um, literally newborn, and um, three-year-old, thinking, you know, what the hell has just happened? It wasn't supposed to be like this. Um, why me? Why us? Um, how am I going to do this? Is it fair? Um, what the hell did we do to deserve this? Um, yeah, a whole load of darkness um, at a time that was supposed to be joy, a time that was supposed to be a celebration, a time that was supposed to be you know, another step forward in this new life that um, we were creating for ourselves just got consumed by this dark cloud but you know here I am 10 years later um, and I've been able to build a new life for myself and for my boys um, and as much as the pain of Losing Hazel will never go away because you know, she's still an absolute significant part of our lives. Um, she might not be here in physical presence, but you know, spiritually, she's here with us. Um, she lives on in both our boys, um, and pretty much every day, you know, I tell her that I miss her and I hear her voice uh, in my head, not in that way. Yeah, um, just, you know, recounting um, some of her mannerisms and, yeah, you know, recently um, I went away and spent some time with some family and um, in some of um, in part of the time that I was there um, two songs came to me and these are songs that I know well and like you know good few people of a certain generation will do as well and there were two michael jackson songs and the first one was you are not alone and that song has always meant a lot to me uh, anyway 
Um, and um, yeah, so I've been playing that a lot recently. And the second song was Man in the Mirror. Um, and for where I am right now, you know, that it's very fitting that those two songs have, you know, just come to me in a, a, um, um, a hitting something that, um, that I need to hear, um, for, for, for different reasons, uh, um, you know, needing to hear those two things. Um, yeah, uh, um, you know, I will always feel that Hazel is with us and that we'll never be alone. Um, but, and then in terms of, you know, my purpose, my calling, you know, being the change that I want to see in the world, you know, man in the mirror is, 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 is also very fitting. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Question. When, you know, you got to the March time, a day past the due date, the pregnancy itself as a whole, as far as you're concerned, nothing sinister, nothing that was nope. telling yeah. that things potentially were going to go that way. No, nothing at all. So you go to the hospital. Yeah. Where was your son, your eldest? So my wife's parents, they had, um, they, they were living you know, a couple of miles down the road. So they came um, to the house to, to look after him while I took Hazel to the hospital. So in-laws, come over. Yep, we'll look after little man. See you guys in a few hours. Looking forward to meeting little man part two. Yep. His brother, however you want to describe him. Go in there. Happy, you know, these are good times. You know, we've been waiting for this. We've been counting the days down because we now got to the safety point. We're at this, at this junction. Yep. I know... And this is in no comparison to yourself, but I think there might be some sort of feelings. When I watched my wife try to give birth because she ended up doing a C-section eventually for um, for our firstborn. Mm -hmm. I remember our twins because it was easier to do second with the twins than sure. the firstborn. But I couldn't help but see the exhaustion in my wife's face, how tired she got. She even turned blue when she was under the knife getting the C-section done. And I was thinking, I've created this i've done this to her mm -hmm. and it wasn't a solo effort obviously it yeah. was a joint venture that we'd done this yeah. but i'm thinking how i felt fearful in that moment did you feel that way when you had your firstborn yeah yeah absolutely because um uh, uh our eldest was born of a c-section um I, I was able um i can't remember the the category, but whatever the category of C-section, I, I was allowed into the theatre. So, you know, I'd gowned up and, you know, I was with her, talking to her, and the, the, the medical staff were doing their thing at the business end. Um, and, um, yeah, so from being with her in the, the labour um, and then um, our eldest, his... his heart rate had dropped so they said hey we need to do a c-section um but you know uh went into theater he was born 
um, stayed in you know, a couple of nights just to monitor, you know, but we were, we were back home and you know, getting on with being new parents. So um, this time round, the, you know, the second time round, uh, they'd said, oh, yeah, you know, we need to do a C-section. So again, you know, I didn't really think anything was, was wrong. Um, and even when they said, actually, no, you can't come in this time. Okay, you know, I didn't, again, yeah, I just didn't think um, anything of it, or, or at least, the, you know, the medical team didn't give me any reason to think. And um, I, I guess, the, well, not I guess, you know, the difference is, um, so there's a condition called amniotic fluid embolism, AFE, uh, and, it's, and it's extremely rare. Um, condition that can occur um, during childbirth and during um, C-sections um, where for whatever reason um, um, the mother's body reacts um, has an allergic reaction to the amniotic fluid it causes a cardiac arrest um, um, the lungs, heart, whatever, and and that's what happened. So, uh, very few medical staff who who you know, kind of work in, you know, the, the um, you know maternity will ever see something like that because it's 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 that rave globally and. Um, Doctors, um, medical world don't know why it happens. No, they understand symptoms that manifest, but um, and they understand some of the context from the data that they've gathered, but they still don't know because obviously amniotic fluid gets into the mother's bloodstream because it's, it's just part of the process. But but why it causes an allergic reaction uh, um, is 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 still unknown. And and in most cases, it's it's fatal. Some some women survive, but in most cases, it's it's fatal. See, it's hard, and I'm glad that you can relate to that. It's not just me on my own in that situation. That guy, oh my gosh, like what's happened here? Yeah. But even when it was that four shit, I was allowed in there for the second and third when it came to it. Yeah. So again. Was I stressed as much as I was the first time? No, because I guess after the first time, you kind of go like, came, I've seen it once already. Yeah. You know, second time, if I'm there, I'm there. If I'm not, at least I'm in the vicinity sort of area. But then when the baby was born, was you then allowed in there or? So little one went into the NICU because they needed to give um, Hazel some antibiotics just to allow for um, little one um, and group B strip. And so, yeah, he'd, he'd gone into the NICU, but yeah, uh, apart from recovering, uh, after she recovered, Hazel was yeah, just, you know, back out, out into the maternity ward. And I went round to see her and, you know, we were, we were talking for a bit of time. Yeah, it was only when they started to, to you know, run some tests and then she started complaining of a, of a few things that yeah it became clear that something 
wasn't right. So, youngest in the queue, your bedside yeah. with Martin Hazel. Yeah. And as far as you're concerned, she's in some discomfort, but for the most part, BAU, no professional has told you things are or potentially in a really bad way. Yeah. Yeah. So she's made these complaints. They've then taken her away yeah. after they realise things are escalating. Yeah. Has anyone communicated to you in any way, shape or form at this point that things that could be going a certain direction? No. No, it was, it was only really after she was in theatre for a couple of hours where I was like, look, you know, something's not right. And the consultant came out and you know, provided an update, but but it was, yeah, it was clear things weren't really going well. Uh, um, but to what extent that, that wasn't clear. What was you going through at that point mentally? Because was you able to see your youngest? Yes. So, yeah, at some point during that, um, yeah, they had said, you know, do you want to come through to the NICU to see him? I couldn't pick him up and hold him because he was in, you know, one of those unit things. The incubator. Incubator, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, he was one of those. But yeah, yeah, I was able to see him. Seeing him in incubator, not the nicest place because my youngest was in the incubator for several days. But must have been a joy to be able to see him, to be able to just bask in that presence of a newborn baby and kind of, kind of take your mind off the fact that your wife's not in the ward like she was prior to that. Yeah. Like, where, where was your head? Because when my youngest was in Niku, I had every bit of hope that things would work out because I wanted to believe things would work out. Yeah. But I could not be naive to the fact that there's a chance it won't be all right. Yeah. Because you wouldn't be in here if they didn't think there was a possibility. Yeah. How did you feel staring at your newborn, not knowing the full extent of what's going on in the theatre with your wife, with how many doctors and nurses? What was going through your mind and how did you think things were going to look going forward in your life versus what you had planned? Yeah, it's it's hard to recall exactly how I felt. Um, but, it was, you know, I know it was definitely mixed, of course. But, you know, I had to believe that she was going to be okay because that's what we'd planned. You know, I had to believe that she was going to be coming out. It was, clearly it wasn't going to be that night. Um, or well, that we were well into the early hours of the the following day by then. But um, my eldest, you know, he was expecting me to bring mummy home and his and his his younger sibling. So that's sitting there, just looking, thinking, hoping everything's going to be all right. When is it that you find out things are the start of a new? life for you yeah the um consultant came out the theater and he didn't need to say anything just so saw, saw it on his face 
I just then I didn't want to hear it. I just didn't want to hear it. But um, yeah, he um, yeah gave me the bad news. There's no words to explain. You know, hearing, hearing that, no words can ever explain. You know, that that moment will stay with me forever. And what was your reaction? I assume... There is no right reaction, if you understand where I'm coming from. But I can only imagine just this is a this is wrong, this is a lie, this is this is this isn't no. Exactly. Yeah, I was and I, I remember saying, No, no, can't can't be right, can't be right. Yeah. That's that's as much as I remember in that moment. As far as you can remember. When did you suddenly realize that now that that has been confirmed to you, mm-hmm. when did your mind start thinking about your family? And I asked the question because it was, and I'm trying to not keep it to myself, but I'm trying to show the connection from where I'm, where I'm coming from. Sure. When I found out I was having twins, I thought I was going into the theater, going in for the sonographer appointment, the baby healthy, yay or nay. There's one in there, calm. We'll pick. We'll choose between a boy and a girl's name. We'll discover the sex later on. Carry on. When it was twins, you think I was thinking about any of that stuff anymore? <laughs> my head was somewhere else because <laughs> that was a shock to my system. I was trying to process the new, the new information that has been conveyed to me. So I'm. I can only imagine if you've just been taken to a private area you're hoping the words that are going to come out of his mouth are not the words that are going to come out of his mouth. Yeah. It's hit you. You're still processing it as it's being said to you. And then you, at some point, I'm assuming you had a sense of what am I going to do with my newborn? What am I going to tell my other son? Yeah. What am I going to say to her parents? How am I going to, you know, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. When did that become a concern? I don't know. I don't, I don't know when it became, because I just think the shock, shock of it was just, yeah, it was just numbing. It was just numbing. And I, you know, I, I know in the, passage of time at some point um, those thoughts um, came to me but in that immediate aftermath yeah it was just just too numbing to even think beyond you know what what the hell has just happened how long after you got that news was you able to take your youngest home yeah two two days so you know, we'd gone in on a Monday morning and I brought him home by the Wednesday afternoon. 
did you have anyone around you that was comforting you or you, you confided in? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, family and friends rallied around. Um, I had a lot of support, a lot of support to get me through those, you know, first few hours, days, literally people turned up on my doorstep within hours to help him in whatever way they could. How was it explaining the news to your eldest? He was three, so he didn't understand. You know, at, at, at the best, kids don't have any full appreciation of the concept of death until you know closer to the age seven, depending on you know their level of maturity. So, um, as much as I explained it to him. He, he didn't understand. He was still expecting money to come back home and it took up teen times of saying the same thing. There's, there's a number of bereavement charities out there that are specifically there to help bereaved children. And so I was able to, to be in contact with them and got you know, a lot of help and support from them. And, and for a good few years afterwards, actually, and they were able to, you know, to help me navigate, trying to to help him understand and come to to terms with it once he was of an age where he could fully understand. And not only that, you know, the support they provided with my youngest as well, because he suffered a bereavement too, and from a mum that he never ever met, never knew. So yeah. You know, they've provided lots of support to me um, and to them to help uh, help us all through this. And what charity was that? There's two. So um, Winston's Wish was one and Child Bereavement UK. Amazing charities. And did they help you through the grieving process and as well as the more practical side of dealing with your newborn and your eldest? Yeah, their focus was specifically on children. So providing um, material and explanations of how children grieve and what you can do to support them and tools and practices and also things like how can you help others help you better so there's material on you can give to friends and family to say hey this is how you can help me Um, so that that was yeah that was really useful as well, actually. Did you deal with any of this in a negative way or out of character? And if so, how did you deal with it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you should ask my friends, family, um, in terms of whether it was out of character because, you know, you can't help but, you know, you're not yourself when you've been through something like this anyway. But also, for, for me the overriding thought in the early days was I can't do anything about it right now, but I know I have to be the best that I can be because I'm a solo parent with with two boys. And if I don't get the help and support mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, then I'm not going to be able to be the best dad that I can be for them. 
I'm not going to be able to to be the dad that Hazel would would have wanted me to be for them. So while they were in those in that immediate aftermath, weeks, months, first few years, you know, so much felt out of my control because I felt that I was always playing catch up, you know, always behind. Um, I knew that I had to get, you know, professional help. Um, I felt that I needed to be in the company of other widowers in a similar situation. And I joined membership of a charity called Widowed and Young, another amazing charity that supports people who have been widowed, people who have been widowed yet under the age of 50. Um, there was another charity. I can't remember. It was part of a bigger charity, but they had a division, if you like, called Widowed Young Support Group, and they actually had a weekend retreat for widows and widowers. And I went to that. Um, when was that? In the probably six months, within six months. Yeah, um, I saw a therapist, you know, within a few weeks and had a good few sessions. I went to a, a peer support group for, um, for widowers. So I was doing everything that I could to try and give me as best a fighting chance as possible to stay sane, you know, to not to not lose the plot. Um, because yeah, it was really clear to me that or I felt that's what I needed to do. If yeah, it was yeah, it was significantly important for me to to stay as sane. Not that I was expecting to be all of a sudden just have recovered and been brilliant. But I knew that I couldn't just I don't know what the right word is because it's sit in it and let it eat away at me and just over a passage of time for it to be for it to define who I was, for it to define the lives that myself and my boys would have. I'd, I just knew crystal clear that 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 wasn't an option for us. Was there any part of you that was prideful that was, nah, I'm not going to ask for help. I don't need help. I can do this myself. No. No. You know, it was, again, it was really clear that there was no way I was going to get through this without help and support. There's just no way. It was too big. It's too big. And as, as much as close friends and family have always seen me as someone that was independent and maybe previously might have not offered help in different scenarios. They all knew that actually, yeah. Uh, well, at least some of them knew and took it upon themselves to say, hey, yeah, we've got you. We've got you. Where did you get this sense of resilience? Because I would like to... No, no, I don't want to say I like, because that's a lie. I have heard, through multiple conversations I've had, where some people have considered throwing in the towel at other life events. Yeah. Never once in any, any conversations I've heard you when you share these stories, have I ever, ever heard you talk about throwing in the towel? It's like it is off the table. 
that is not an option. Never. How? Hmm. I, I don't know, man. It's just not how I'm wired, you know. Um, it's just not how I'm wired. And, you know, is it genetic? Is it something else? I don't know. Like I said, with, within the first few days, it, it, it was clear that I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I had to had to do this and you can do it on my own, friends and family there to support. Yes, I couldn't see the wood for the trees, but the driving force was the boys need me, the boys need me. Hazel would want me to do the best that I can, not be perfect, not get everything right, because that's what life is about. But as long as I was continually trying to do my best and I would stumble and as long as I would get up, stumble, get up, stumble, get up. No, at one point, it was just about getting through every hour. How long is this going to last for, really? Because this is painful. Just, you know, just trying to get through every hour. But over time, it became, oh, you know, get through a couple of hours. I mean, I didn't, I didn't sleep for, for seven months. I just caught, you know, a little bit of shutai here and there uh, um, for seven months. So I just couldn't sleep, couldn't sleep in our bed. I slept on the sofa, did my back in. You know, I had the Moses basket next to me so I could do his feeding, the little one. And, you know, a newborn baby, there's so much to do. There's so much to focus on. So a good part of the focus went on him and my eldest, being there for them, supporting them. So some of the, it, it made part of the days have a routine because, you know, get up, feed. You know, eldest needs to go to nursery, clothes sorted out, got some activity. Little one needs feeding every four hours, bottles made up, etc. So in some ways... I guess that probably helped because then I wasn't able to to just sit around. In, in fact, although I had help and support at times, and I needed that break, I needed to you know to sometimes just have some nights to myself, which which people came over and, and, and looked after that one for me. But I still didn't sleep; couldn't sleep. But in some ways. You know, look, looking back at it now, I know I needed that time because I needed space and time for myself. But in some ways, that made having to sit in it and have nothing to do and so um, experience the rawness, the reality of it um, was hard. But again, that ended up being part of the journey that I needed to experience and I needed to sit in it. I remember my doctor called me up, GP at the time, within a couple of days, and he offered condolences and said, you know, if, if I need anything, I should let him know. So didn't see him in person, 
didn't assess my mental health or anything like that, but was offered me medication. <laughs> uh, so I politely refused, said, no, I'll, I'll fulfill that I need to, then maybe, but no. And I never did. And this is no judgment on anybody um, because you know we all deal with things, we all process things, we're all wired differently. But again, for me, I had to sit in it. I had to feel the rawness of it. I didn't want to numb it. I didn't want to blank it out. This was the life. This was the hand that has been dealt to me, um, numbing the pain as much as it was awful. Uh, um, and I wouldn't want to, I prefer obviously not to experience that pain. I, I knew the pain, experiencing it in all its fullness would strengthen me eventually. Don't tell me how I knew, because I don't know. I just knew that it would strengthen me and it would allow me to be the dad I wanted to be, to be the dad that Hazel would want me to be. Even now, it just, you know, hearing me myself say that out loud, it, it, it baffles me. It baffles me. Uh, I alluded to earlier, and this has been a recurring theme recently, so whether it's for the benefit of this podcast or whether it's for, for something else in the work that I'm doing, you know, there's a saying that everything happens for a reason. Everything doesn't happen for a reason. It's just not true at all. There can be no sensible rhyme or reason why a, a whole host of things happen in the world. But how we process, how we're able to process our mindset will in part dictate how we deal with the various challenges that life throw at us. And for whatever reason, you know, my mindset, well, I say for whatever reason, actually, I now know the reason. It's just been hard to accept that I've had to go through what I've gone through in order for me to live out my life's purpose. There is no right reason why Hazel died but I'm able to take the pain of that and other things that I've been through and use that to help and empower and sustain other people, other widows and widows that I've spoken to over these years, other books that I've contributed to, podcasts that I've been on, panels that I've spoken on, people that I've been introduced to on a one-to-one -one basis. None of that makes me feel better because it, there is no making it better. But what it does do, it allows me to, to live life in the way that I hadn't planned, but it seems that it's part of my life's purpose. So to take my experiences, to take the mindset that I have, to take the level of resilience that I seem to naturally have to some extent and to use that to help others now. I don't know why that is. I've, I've questioned it. 
but there's so many things in my life that point towards this is part of the work that I should be doing. And so I have learned to embrace that. Not that I've been rejecting it. I just really wasn't aware of that's what I was, that's part of my purpose. And I guess I probably hadn't looked at it in a purposeful way as well, even though I'd been doing lots of these things and have been doing lots of these things from a young age, from really being, you know, true to who I am. Um, and so all of these things have always been in me. I just didn't recognize them as being a thing, if you like. And, and, and now it's, it's, it's abundantly clear that it's a thing for real yeah it's it's heavy heavy but you to still be as defiant defiance the word i'm going to use if this was plastered all over social media if this was in a sitcom if this was in a movie the attitude the common consensus would be negative I'm going to lash out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But your, your attitude is defiant of that narrative. Absolutely. And that's part of your charm. That is part of the thing that I admire. You are such a wholesome individual as a whole, but to still be that encouraging to yourself, to still be that kind in a sense that you said, I've got to make this work for me and the boys and be the parent that Hazel wanted me to be or be the dad that Hazel wanted me to be and know that I'm not going to get everything right. And when I stumble, get up and try. And these are words that not many people say at the best of times, let alone at one of their darkest and loneliest times in their life. <laughs> and you're just... You're just built different is what it comes across as. But I'll ask you this question. Going back in time, knowing now what you do, not saying you're there, but I'd like to think you have a better understanding of the situation. I know you've alluded to um, previously, but what would you say to your younger self at your lowest point to keep putting your foot in front of the other to get yourself out of that place? If you need to, because you sound like you already had it quite, quite ready. Like you sound like you've got yourself all together, but I just want to offer you the chance to answer that question in case you wasn't always like that. Yeah, nobody has it all together. There isn't one individual on this earth, no matter how accomplished or whatever, that has it all together all the time. They have their moments of having it all together, yes, but they don't have it all together all the time. Something that I'm working on at the minute, I'm trying to figure out the best way to articulate it um, in terms of like the wider uh, um, public. But um, when you look at what those people do, <laughs> well-being is at the centre of their lives. Right? Well-being isn't a kind of afterthought. It's not a, all right, I've burnt out. Um, because I've been going at a great neck speed and all the rest of it, so I'm going to take two weeks to recover and get back to it. No. Well-being and resilience is a daily thing. It's a daily thing. You do it every single day at the end of the, the start of the day, during the day, the end of the day, before you go to bed. Well-being, spiritual, mental, physical, emotional, right? Those 
you know, the My Resilience Project, Resilience Cubed, is why I've called it that, right? You know, empowering our mind, body, and spirit. And, you know, again, Monday living has, has caused us to forget about some really simple things that we can do on a, on a daily basis. And so, you know, every day for me is a reset. Every day is a reset. You know, whatever happens during the day, at the end of the day, I reset. And I'm, okay, you know what? Stuff happened. Couldn't control it, whatever. And I reset. You know, did I get angry at the day for whatever reason? Okay, yeah, reset. Kind of acknowledge, hear myself say it out loud. Have some self-talk. I'm like, okay, oh, yeah, probably should have done that better. Um, but you know what? Okay, can't change it. It's done. Reset, start the day afresh. Which is fair enough. So with the, the beauty of hindsight, do you think there's anything you would tell your younger self different to what you was already saying to yourself at that time to keep yourself going? Other than saying, you've got this, that's all it would be. Because the only thing that has ever prevented me from achieving anything has been my own self-doubt. If you had self-doubt, what was it that you did to get yourself out of the way? It's, it's different for every situation in some ways. Part of that has been a maturity thing. Part of that has been having been through other things in the past, looked at those things, right, okay, if I've got through that before, then I can get through this. Um, you know, Hazel dying was one of those where I couldn't compare it to anything. So that was just a pure, I just have to find a way through this. There's, there's, there's no option, right? I can't compare it and say, oh, I've been through X and it's been worse than that, because there's been nothing that has been worse than that. So it was literally just a, well, what am I going to do? Am I just going to give up and give in to it all? Or I'm going to, like I said before, you know, put one foot in front of the other, get through minute by minute, hour by hour, and over time, you know, that leads to where I am right now. If you're saying that was an L, are you still calling it L now? Yeah, yeah. You know, back to the point about everything doesn't happen for a reason. It was a loss, right? You know, there's a, and within the, the bereavement and grieving and widowed community, one of the viewpoints on grief, yeah, when you lose someone, especially in these types of circumstances, um, where, you know, it was sudden, it was unexpected, it was, you know, long before, um, you know, Hazel hadn't lived a long life and got to a certain age and, and all the rest of it, um, where the grief doesn't go away. Then there's a diagram that we have where, you know, the first circle, there's two circles. The first one is it's a big circle and it's black. <clears throat> That's, that circle represents your life and the black represents grief at the point in time that it happens. So literally your life is consumed by that. There's no space for anything. And what they say is that 
and this doesn't have to be precise. You know, it's not completely black and white, of course, because that life isn't like that. It's far, life is far from black and white. But what they say is that actually, when it comes to grief, what happens is the grief or the size of the grief doesn't change. You just need to build a new life. So you build yourself a new circle around the original one. And as you start to build that new circle that gets bigger and bigger, the grief stays the same size. The bereavement, the hurt stays the same size. But you learn to build a new life around it. So as a percentage of how much of your life that it consumes, it becomes smaller over time. But it's still there. So it's still an L. It's just that I've built a new life around it. And yes, there are moments where it catches me. There are moments where I intentionally embrace it and face it and say, this is just shit, man. (laughs) What the... Right? But then I move on from it and say, hey, yeah, that was my moment to just kind of say, hey, what the hell's going on? And then I move on from it and say, hey, you know, what a good life. And... I've been practicing gratitude for a long time. Again, I just didn't know it. I've been practicing gratitude for such a such a young age. I just I didn't know it. And as I look back over my life, I'm like, damn. I've been doing that for I just didn't appreciate that that's that's what it was. Many people won't get this. <laughs> as tough as all of this has been, I'm alive. I'm alive. I've been here to raise my boys, our boys. I've nursed them, supported them through through school and their education, and all the bad moments, all the tempers, terrible twos, all of that stuff. You know, my eldest now is a teenager, and all of that stuff that you know people talk about as oh, you know, teenage years and all. I get to experience all of that in its full glory. And Hazel hasn't been able to. She wasn't even able to hold or see Isaac. So every single day, I am grateful. Even on the days where the boys annoy the hell out of me, and I feel like, you know, giving them away or whatever because they're just kind of being young kids of a certain age and their behaviours and all the rest of it. I am grateful, and I say that I am grateful every single day because I get to experience all of this, and Hazel didn't. And there are many people who have passed, young and old, uh, young, uh, um, uh, and not been able to see whatever in life that we would have expected them to see. And so, as much as that might be a difficult thing for people to get their head around, For me, um, it has been one of the driving forces throughout my life. For some reason, I've always been able to say, no matter what crap I've been through, um, it could have been different. There could have been a worse situation. This could have happened. There are others that have been through something even worse than me, comparatively speaking. So actually, I'm just going to get on and do what I need to do.
It's incredible. Conscious of time. I appreciate not every L is a loss, but at the same time, an L can just feel like an L because it is an L. I love the fact that you're still able to gain something from this experience and help it fuel the version of yourself that you believe is yourself. And you carry your wife with you. In every interaction I've had with you, I feel like I learn more and more about this amazing human being. And I know she lives on in you, in your boys, and everyone else that knew her. Absolutely. I will ask you this before I conclude. For the next two minutes, can you share where you're going to be, how people can find you on social media? Obviously, I don't want real stalkers kind of come after you. Unless they want to give you a hug, different story, right? (laughs) But if you could just share where you're at socially, on social media, where you are um, in terms of what you're doing that people can consume if they want to learn more about yourself. Um, Yeah, two minutes. Selfishly, plug yourself, my friend. Yeah, so um, on LinkedIn and Instagram, it's just Alec N. Grant, A-L-E-C N. Grant. Uh, my website is the same, alecngrant.com. I have a related one, but you can connect to it from that. Um, I've got a newsletter, so um, you know, uh, in between putting stuff out on, on LinkedIn, quite on LinkedIn and, and, and Insta the most uh, you know i'm always putting out content around well-being mindset self-mastery you know daily well-being habits daily resilience habits if you go to my website you can sign up for my newsletter you know it's not supposed to be over complicated or whatever it's just really simple i share you know books podcasts insights things that i've read and experiences my viewpoint on you know topical things um around just trying to you know build a lifestyle build a mindset build self-mastery um so yeah feel free to connect me with me um yeah on any of those platforms amazing thank you very much obviously want to thank you so much for your honesty just being vulnerable as you are and this conversation was very (laughs) very difficult for me because I know it's a very sensitive topic. I know I've heard some of this stuff before, but there was more that I kind of wanted to understand your psyche around. And sometimes it's easy to shy away from someone when you respect them and you're that close to them, but you want to know. So you avoid asking the question because it's easier. And that's kind of like why I like this platform because when you, ask someone questions that are slightly more how did you feel what made you feel that way how did you react if you're talking to a loved one face to face or virtually however it is chances are your answers will differ depending on what faces they're pulling how they react to what you're saying me asking those questions knowing how i feel about you and our bond that we've got made it very hard for me to want to ask those questions and be respectful of those those feelings you have because I am not going to act like once this recording stops, life will resume as it was left off. You've gone through you've gone through 
those memories. You've relived those memories for the sake of me and anyone else that listened to this episode. And I want to thank you. I hope that you're not in a bad place because of it, but are able to celebrate her life. Because I, trust me, I feel so grateful that you two found each other and was able to have the life that you had together. And this is the life that you have, minus her in flesh, but she's definitely here in spirit and in the DNA of the boys. And I'm sure you can see the mannerisms pouring out through through them as well. And I just I just wanted to sort of acknowledge that, that I'm not taking this for granted in any way, shape or form. I just I, I don't know, you're just I told you, you're just amazing. I know you're just doing you and I'm not trying to gas you up so that you feel that you have to act any which way. You being you and accepting yourself for the way you are is so empowering to others. And I say that because I am one of those people and I thank you for it. I'm sorry for what you've had to experience, but I'm so grateful that you are grateful and that you allow these these situations to further fuel and to pay it forward for other people. I'm so grateful for the charities that were able to support and to help you through a very challenging time. I thank all your family and friends and those people around you that are willing to contribute towards helping make a very, very difficult situation a little bit more bearable. Because no matter how much effort people can pour into your situation, when you've gone through something like that, I can only imagine. That's like trying to put a plaster on a dam <laughs> when a dam's missing a big old hole out of it. You've just got a whole wave of emotions pouring out. And you're thinking that plaster's not really doing much of anything. But it's the thought that counts. And you... you I, I, I feel like I'm saying things that anyone listening will probably understand what I'm trying to say, but just lacking in the vocabulary to be able to do so. However... I have to wrap this up, but I want to just stress how happy I am for you. So happy for our friendship. So happy for everything you have. And I understand that we've always scratched the surface and there's so many more challenges and so many ongoing struggles that you have to overcome. But I, I, yeah, people just reach out to him. He'll share what he, he feels comfortable to share. And he's a great guy to know. Um, even though he's gone through something like this and this loss is a loss, he still understood and discovered that the grief will always remain. And that's that's something to hold on to. But his life is bigger. And in part because of the family that they're growing together. I, I like to believe that a person is, in a, is a, having a family when they've got one other person that they're with. I don't like the whole waiting until you've got a child before you have a family because not everyone can have a child or will have a child so you are a family unit once you two are together and committed to one another and then it just expands further and further and if it wasn't for her in his life he may not be the person he is today he wouldn't have the beautiful boys he has who are super like amazingly good kids but you can understand why they are because of his dad and because of his mum their mum sorry but I'm gonna have to wrap this up. I can't. I can't keep going on. I can't. <laughs> I can't keep going on. But everyone, I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. And yeah, just understand, not every L is a loss. And even if it is a loss, 
doesn't mean that's the place you're going to reside in forever in terms of your feelings. It can feel sometimes you don't want to accept the reality. I hold my hands up. My nan passed away a number of years ago. I've still got a house number in my phone. I'm not willing to pass that yet. But it doesn't mean I haven't continued my life in other aspects. So it's okay to feel what you're feeling. It's actually advised to feel what you're feeling so you can understand when you're not in a good place versus a good, a good place. But don't try not to dwell in it for too long because there may be so many other beautiful and wonderful things you're missing out on. And it's all about trying to live full and die empty. Please, please, please look after yourself. Experience what you can experience. And just remember, there's nothing about a caterpillar that it's going to be a butterfly. Look after yourself and I will catch you in the next episode. Every L podcast.